Thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Life Church Podcast. In these episodes, you will hear encouraging messages from our weekend services. If you'd like to know more about us, watch a live stream, or find the closest Eastern Iowa campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. Well, uh, last week, we kicked off a series called Unleashed Faith. And I tell you what, I've had some, a lot of conversations around this notion of faith. And, and people have walked up to me and said, hey, Pastor, I needed to hear that. Um, it's almost as if, and here's the image I have, it's almost as if we have been for a long time holding our breath for a lot of reasons, whether it's a pandemic, whatever it is, all the stuff that we've gone through in the last couple of years, I feel like there's been this sense where we've been holding our breath and there's a, God is just beginning to release us to just take another big deep breath and say, okay, God, I'm ready for what you have in store for us. And I just believe that. I believe that God is, is gonna unleash something through this body and it's not just about what's happening within the four walls of this building. We, we want to see God move in this building. But, this, but you know from the, from the very outset, our goal is to, to make a difference outside of the four walls of, these, of this building. There are people in this community that need Jesus Christ. They're hurting, they're hungry, they're struggling, and they need Christ. And God has positioned us to be able to be that. So last week, uh, we, we started by talking about faith and defining faith. And faith, the definition I gave you last week is seeing the way God sees. In other words, it's about vision, about you know, being able to see what God is doing. And so the challenge, the contrast I had was I, it's seeing through eyes of faith. In other words, seeing our life, seeing our circumstances, seeing our future through eyes of faith. This is kind of what God does for us. This is what faith is, is being able to see the way God sees our life, being able to see the way God sees our future, Right? But we contrasted it with, against seeing through eyes of fear. How many of you know that fear can be paralyzing? Right? Like, you, 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 you come up against something that is terrifying to you, a decision you have to make, challenges you're facing in life. Maybe you're a student, and all of a sudden you're, you're a brand-new PhD student, and you're like, I don't even know how in the world I'm going to get through. The, you, you saw the what's required of you, and you're like, I don't even know how I'm going to get through this thing, you know? And there's a lot of fear. And then, but here's the problem. If we, if we allow fear to be what causes us to make decisions, if, if the decisions we make are based out of fear, relational decisions, academic, you know, educational decisions, or, or uh, decisions about money, if fear is what is leading those decisions, you'll find yourself in a place where you're trapped and you're paralyzed. You don't want to move ahead. And so... Faith, on the other hand, launches you into an adventure with God. And I love this. And for me, I've been on this adventure for the last 40 years. And it's been an up and down kind of roller coaster sometimes for me because there's times where I'm uh, <laughs> down in the dumps. I'm like, God, where are you? You know, but then there's other times where I see the hand of God moving and I just know that he's so with me. But that's the nature of an adventure, Right? And that's what God is calling us into, and I believe that God wants to do that in you today, and he wants to work through us. So this is really a vision series, right? Now, it's not always easy to talk about vision because, especially when we're talking about vision for the future, because we are people in the present. I met with a financial guy, my financial advisor, you know, this week. It's a regular annual meeting. 
And, uh, and I, I, asked, I said, can you pull your crystal ball out? Because I'd like to know what's going to happen in the next seven years, you know? <laughs> I was being joking, obviously. But, you know, that's how it looks. That's how we see the future. We're just not certain what's ahead of us, Right? We are people of the present. So talking about vision, talking about the future can sometimes be a little bit scary, and a little bit overwhelming. But yet this is where we're at. This is what God wants to do and he wants to give you eyes to see. Maybe not the specifics of your future, but give you a general direction where you're going. I think an image I have of that is like that of a, of a you know, you look at an ugly caterpillar and you're like, I can't, I can't even imagine a beautiful butterfly. It's like, that, that's ugly, right? But if you've ever witnessed the process of metamorphosis, and last week we talked about this, right? Transformation, our word that we're talking about through this series as well is the word transformation. It's a biblical word of what God wants to do in us. The Greek word for that in the New Testament is metamorpho. It's where we get the word metamorphosis. And if you've ever experienced or witnessed the process of metamorphosis, it's pretty amazing, to see a caterpillar, you know, growing up in Panama, I remember seeing these every year. We'd have just like, seemed like millions of butterflies everywhere. But the process for that to happen was these caterpillars who would cocoon themselves. And then over time, would just basically blossom into this beautiful butterfly. And when I think about that, I think that's exactly the image of what God is doing in you. God is working in you. He's transforming you. In fact, one of our values here is passionate spiritual. I have it up here. Um, we have eight values, but one of the values is passionate spirituality. We, we value a, having a body here that is passionate about pursuing Christ, chasing after Christ. And the way we define it is it's never too late to become who you might have been. Now, I'm sure that's not very good grammar. It kind of seems a little bit weird. It's never too late to become who you might have been. That doesn't even seem possible, really. But in God, there are some possibilities that sometimes we make impossible. Like we give our lives to Christ and we say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. And then something happens. Things, unexpected things happen in our life. We find ourselves derailed. Maybe, maybe our, your husband or your wife comes to you and says, I want a divorce. And now your life is completely going in a different direction. Or, or you, you fall into a trap and you fall into sin and now you, you, you're struggling. Or, or, you know, whatever it might be. Right? And then when we come back on the other side of that, what happens is we see ourselves through different eyes. We don't see ourselves through the eyes of God or of faith. What we see is we see I'm a failure. I'm a loser. Um, God, I don't, think, I don't think I'll ever get to where you really wanted me to be. But God, with God, nothing is impossible. We talked about that last week. And God is able to do amazing things in your life. And there is a vision that he has for your life and it's never too late to achieve that. It's never too late to get there. Amen. Finishing off, it says, we value spending our lives in the transformation, there's our word, transformation, in the transformational pursuit of God. That's where we're going. We are saying, God, here am I, change me. Now, let me pause real quick because I think there's some of you like me. I've been in this for like 40 years, and you've been in this for a long time too. And you're like, yeah, that's for the young bucks, this whole transformation thing. And I've already been transformed. I've arrived. I know, I know, I got knowledge. I know stuff. I know, I know when I'm supposed to raise my hand and worship. I know when I'm supposed to, how I'm supposed to read my Bible. I, you know, I'm there. 
The process of transformation never ends. In fact, this is exactly where the Lord has been speaking to me all summer long. It's been rich. I want to do new things with you, but you just feel like you've arrived. If you feel like you've got it all figured out, God is at work in us. You know, um, there's, there's two words in the New Testament for time. Or actually, there's more than two, but there's two words that are oftentimes put in contrast with each other. It's uh, the word chronos and the word kairos. They both mean time in the Greek. Chronos is kind of linear time, like, you know, time on the clock, time is clicking, uh, days, months, weeks, you know, that kind of stuff. Kairos is another word. Um, in Galatians 4, it talks about in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, talking about the, the, the uh, incarnation of Jesus, um, happens in the fullness of time. And that word time there is actually kairos, not chronos. It's not talking about like physical time throughout time, but in a precise moment in time, in a very unique moment in time. And I believe that God has us right now in a very unique moment in time. And I know it's hard sometimes to see that, I mean, you're, if you're like on the, we're kind of like on the back end of a pandemic and we're still trying to figure out and our finances are not exactly where they're supposed to be and we're kind of in a recession, they say, you know, and all this stuff is going on and there's still politics are just crazy. Every time I watch news, politics are crazy and, and we're kind of like in that place and it's hard to imagine, it's hard to see, but I believe that God has put places in a precise moment in time that if we will look at it through the eyes of faith instead of through the eyes of fear, God has great story for your life to tell. And that's the challenge that we're going to, it kind of reminds me of the story found in Joshua. We're going to look at Joshua chapter 3 today. You can turn in your Bibles to that if you have your Bibles with you. Um, uh, last week, we kicked off with the story of the children of Israel crossing the Red Sea. You know that story? Moses raises his staff, the sea parts, they get across. Two years later, they find themselves at the very edge of the promised land. So there's a promised land, right? And it's called the promised land because God has promised it to them. God has said, this is, what you're, this is your inheritance. This is where you're going. Okay? They're all aware of it. They know that they're going to the promised land. They get to the very edge of the promised land, a place called Kadesh Barnea. And uh, we know the story. I'm not going to go through the whole sermon last week. But basically, because of fear, remember, fear is paralyzing. Because of fear, they didn't step into the promised land. Because of fear, they got stuck and they wandered for 38 years in the desert. Now we find ourselves once again at this crisis of faith moment. Then before it was like they were, you know, needing to go in the promised land, but they were afraid. Now they find themselves at the edge of the Jordan River, ready to go to the promised land again. And this is how this starts off in Joshua chapter 3, verses 2. After three days, the officers went through the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Let me pause here for a second and just tell you, you know, there's, God has amazing plans for your life. And I'm saying that, I'm saying that in faith and I'm saying it because I truly believe it. I believe it for my life. Um, and and I, I want you to kind of look ahead to that. You know, Cedar Rapids, I want you to look ahead to God's plans for your life. But I want you to notice how this starts. The focus point starts with the Ark of the Covenant. 
It starts with the presence of God. The Ark of the Covenant was representative of the presence of God. And what God was telling his people back then is what he's telling us now is that we need to be aware of God's presence, of God's direction, and we need to follow it. So much of our lives is about really discerning, seeing through eyes of faith, seeing the way God sees is about me saying, okay, God, what are you showing me? Where are we going? That's where I need to be. That's where I need to go. And I realize that when I talk about Talk about things like this. Some of you are like, well, I, I don't know. I'm a doctor. I don't know how to see through the eyes of faith towards the future. God has a plan for your life. God has a purpose for your life. Even in your practice as a physician, God has a purpose for your life. And so are you seeing your career? Are you seeing your practice through eyes of faith or through eyes of fear? It starts with the Ark of the Covenant. And so God, some of you, God may be calling you to do some pretty crazy and terrifying things. And you might be wondering, how can that ever be? How can, that, how can I accomplish those things? Well, let me just tell you, it starts, it starts with the presence of God. It, what he's telling the children of Israel is that we can trust the promptings of God in our life. As God starts speaking to you, you can trust that and start stepping in that direction, okay? So then verse four, he says, you know, uh, you know, move out from your positions and follow it. Verse four says, then you will know which way to go. Like, because God's presence is going ahead of you, you will know which way to go. Since you've never been this way before. I love, I love this verse. I feel this line. There's been times in our life, and even now, I see it right now. I don't know exactly where we're going. I've never been this way before. But God's presence is going ahead of us, and therefore we can Follow that. We can trust the promptings of God. This next verse is really where I want to land today. Verse 5. Joshua told the people, so they're going to possess the promised land. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Consecrate yourself, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. I think we read this verse, and I think we're like, I like the amazing. I want amazing in my life, but I'm not sure we're too excited about the consecrate part. The consecrate part is like, wait, what do I have to do to get the amazing? I'm not sure I want that. I, I, I just want the amazing. I want the amazing in my life, right? He says, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things in your life. The story continues to basically explain what the children of Israel need to do to possess the promised land. It starts with consecrating themselves, and then, they, then they're going to cross the Jordan River. But the problem is that here's the crisis of faith. It's at flood stage. It's like once again, they're at a place where they have to trust God to be able to, to move forward, to move ahead. Verse 11 in chapter 3, it says, see, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, it's a flood station, so God speaking to, to Joshua, it says, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go to, into the Jordan ahead of you. So God is leading. Remember, that's how it starts. That's how all of us should be f- trusting God. We just, God is leading us. We're walking in that direction. <clears throat> now then, choose 12 men from among the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests that carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand in a heap. Does this story sound familiar to you? What does it sound familiar to? What's, a, what's another story just happened? Parting of the Red Sea, just 40 years earlier, the same story. 
They've come to this place, this obstacle, and now there's a need for a miracle. And 40 years ago, you know, the Red Sea parted. Now they're at this Jordan River, and it's at flood stage. And I know that most of us feel that sequels are just never, never as good as the original. We, we get that. But man, there's something about this story. Something powerful about this story. Something that speaks directly to us, right? I mean, it's a, it's a completely different story. It's a Jordan River. It's not the Red Sea. It's Joshua. It's not Moses, right? It's a completely different group of people, a total different generation of people. But it's still the same God, and that's the comfort that we have. Like some of you in this room, you can say, I remember when God did. But man, it's just so different back then than what it is today. But it's still the same God. It's still the same God that's working today. It's still the same God that prompts you in your spirit right now in this service. It's still the same God. The book of Joshua starts off with basically the death of Moses. And it's not a very optimistic start of, the, of Joshua's life. I mean, Joshua has only ever known Moses' leadership. That's all he's ever known. Joshua was very, very much aware that God spoke to Moses. He saw the miracle of the parting of the Red Sea. He saw the amazing things that God did through the leadership of Moses, but now he's the leader. In fact, it's so interesting you see this because it tells us that, you know, I, I don't know if you look at chapters one and two of Joshua, it's like the Lord had to multiple times tell him, hey, don't be afraid. <laughs> don't be afraid. Why, why did God have to tell him, don't be afraid? Well, he was afraid. Like many of us, when God speaks to us, he says, do this. The first thing that rises up inside of us is fear. We're not sure if we can, and too often we respond to that, that fear by basically doing nothing, by being paralyzed. You see, in this moment, Joshua has an opportunity to step into a brand new arena of life, an opportunity of exercising faith, of not living in the shadow of Moses. I mean, literally, he's like the new Moses. But then here's the thing. It's, it's not the same. It's not the Red Sea. It's not Moses. It's a completely different group of people. And God is wanting to do something different, something new. I believe that God is wanting to do something different and something new in your life as well, right now. So God tells him, hey, when you step into the waters, that's when the water will stop. And it stopped. They didn't, they didn't see it because it was up, upstream, you know. It happened in another town where the water stopped. I could just hear Joshua say, wait, wait, Lord, that's, that's not how it works, <laughs> I've seen, I saw what Moses did. This is how Moses did it. Moses stood at the edge of the Red Sea, lifted up his staff, and then that's how the water got parted. That's how you exercise faith. That's how you see miracles happen in your life, the way Moses did it. I don't think, I mean, in fact, Lord, there's even a song written about this, like the horse and the rider, you know, into the sea and all. You know the song, right? We, this is not how you do it. But God wants to do something new. He wants to do something different. See, Moses had been telling, talking about the story of, of, the, of deliverance from Israel. And let me just pause here for a second. There's something powerful. There's something powerful about stories of the past, of what God has done. 
Like, what has God done in your life? I remember when I was a younger in my faith, new, new believer uh, in our church, we used to have Sunday night testimony services. It wasn't every Sunday night. We, we met every Sunday night, but not every Sunday night was a Sunday night testimony service. And, uh, and this is really cool. These, are, these services where people would get up. It was real time. People would get up, and a mom would get up and say, hey, uh, you know, I am... I'm a single mom, I have kids, I'm struggling here, I don't have enough money for groceries, I didn't have enough money for groceries, like they're telling me this, I didn't have enough money for groceries, and blah, 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 and then this week we prayed, we just believed God, and somebody showed up with groceries at our doorstep. And then they would give praise to God for it. It's no wonder that in those services, God was doing some amazing things. I remember in those services, young people being called to the mission field. I was one of them. I remember in those services, people testifying of healing and then somebody coming up for prayer and being healed instantly in those services. I remember in those services, there would be sometimes a move of the Holy Spirit in such a way that people would just run to the front, fall on their face, and repent of their sin and say, God, forgive me. I want to follow you. Something powerful about a testimony of what God has done. You see, I think that God wants us to remember his faithfulness of the past so that we can have faith for what he's going to do tomorrow. That's what he wants. I know that's how, how, you know, how it happened for Joshua. Like he saw what God had done and he had faith for what God was gonna do. And I think sometimes what has, what, what's faith for us today sometimes is not really, f- I mean what was faith for us back then is not really f- faith for us today. I remember when we first started Life Church 17 years ago, um, I, to be honest with you, I don't know how in the world. I, 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 we moved here to start this church and Chris Carey joined us and, and I would sit there and I, I, don't know what, I don't know what got into me. I was like talking about things like big grandeur, like we're going to change the world, you know, where that's kind of the language we had. We're going to change the world, you know, and then we get together and it was a lot of work to, to set up in a rec center. You know, we had a trailer and we pull a trailer and unload it, set everything up, set up seats, set up everything, have a service and then put it all, break it all back down, put it back in the trailer. We did that for four years. <laughs> I remember... I remember having this, this idea of like, we're going to change the world and then have a service and there's like 25 people there. Yeah. <laughs> it took a lot of faith back then to just push forward. Here we are 17 years later and I could tell you, it doesn't take a whole lot of faith to stay here. It doesn't. You see, I don't think God has ever called us to settle. I don't think he's ever called us to settle. I was challenging, pushing us forward, right? He's called us to pioneer. And it's in that context that we truly, when, we, when, we're, when, we're, when we're saying, God, I'm just gonna trust you, I'm gonna believe God for the future, believe you for the future, that we become completely dependent upon God. So again, concentrate, uh, uh, consecrate, verse five. It says, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Now before I d- kind of define consecrate, let me tell you what consecrate is not. Consecrate is not attending church every Sunday. Consecrate is not tithing. Consecrate is not having daily devotions. Consecrate is not like believing and keeping the Ten Commandments. All those are good, and we should do all those things, but that's not really the meaning of consecrate. 
The idea of consecrate here is being set apart for a sacred endeavor, for a sacred purpose. It's a demand for complete and full devotion. I love that God tells Joshua this. He says, consecrate consecrate yourself for tomorrow. I will do amazing. We want the amazing in our life, right? I want an amazing paycheck. How many of you want an amazing paycheck? I want... I want an amazing relationship with my wife. Don't, I was going to say, how many of you want an amazing relationship with your wife? You may, not be, you may be too honest. <laughs> we want the amazing in our life, but we're not always sure about the consecrate. But here, I think Joshua is, God is giving Joshua an order of things. If you want the amazing, it starts with consecrate yourself. Sometimes that means getting stuff out of your life that should have never been there in the first place. So when you come to faith in Jesus, he's not, that coming to faith in Jesus is not about, I'm just gonna add you to my current existence. That's not coming to faith in Jesus. When we come to faith in Jesus, we basically say, hey Lord, up to this point, I have been the center of my life. I'm the focus. We live in a very self-centered world. So I'm the, I wake up every morning and it's all about me and me and me. And what am I going to do for me? But coming to faith in Christ is about, Lord, I want you to be the center of my life. So will you consecrate yourself to God? I love the New Testament language. It's really about, you know, lay down your life. It's about taking up your cross and following Jesus. Consecrate is about dying to your own will and desires and saying, God, I take on what yours is for my life. You know, I look back, I think about my story, for example. I look back at when I first came to faith in Christ. It was back in 82, 1982. In 84, in one of of these Sunday night services, I said, Lord, I'll go to the mission field. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll go to the mission field. I made a commitment to go to the mission field in 1984. I remember that very clearly because by this time, we had only lived four years. Like, I was an immigrant from Panama, so we had only lived in the States for four years at this point. And I very unwisely, and I was a, I was a junior in college, you know, studying engineering at the University of Texas, and very unwisely went to my mom and I said, hey, mom, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be an engineer. Instead, I'm going to go and be a missionary. And my mom was like, no, you're not. My uncle was even worse than that. He was like, I'm going to call that Bible school that you want to go to. I want to tell them that, they, you, they, that you're a bad person. You can't go there. They were mad. Like, why would you leave a country, come to the States, and then want to go back? That doesn't make any sense. And I remember what I was processing as I was f- feeling this conviction, this Lord, the Lord saying to me, consecrate yourself for tomorrow and do some amazing things. As I was feeling this conviction that I needed to step out in faith, I didn't know I was a, I was a poor kid living in government subsidized apartments. I had no idea how I was going to end up on a mission field. But I knew that God was saying, do this. i tell you a lot of the in between, but I won't. But by 1993, we had, um, I had gone, I'd graduated from Bible college. I had planted a church in a little town called Leesville, Louisiana. And on March 5th, 1993, we landed in Bangladesh where we stayed for about nine years as missionaries. And, uh, and some of you in this room are like, Rich, I know that. I've already heard that story before. I want to tell you a story of what's happened past tense so that, because we're about to write a brand new story of what God wants to do in the future.
And that's the power of testimony. God has done things in your life, transformative work in your life, and he's calling you, he's inviting you to hold on to that and believe him for the future. To not, to not be paralyzed by fear. Sometimes consecration means crossing this line of faith. Either God shows up or we're gonna be, you know, complete fools. We have a line around here we say all the time, go after something so big it's destined to fail unless God intervenes. I just wish you knew how much I want that to be the mantra of our lives. There's several reasons why. One of them is because it really diffuses this idea of fear. Too much of our life is guided, led, determined by fear for certain things, fear about our finances, fear about a lot of things. And I'm not saying that fear in itself is a, is a terrible thing. You know, of course, there's healthy fear. But if it paralyzes you, if you stop in your tracks because you're afraid, God's calling you into a life of faith. In fact, I just, I believe this. I see thousands and thousands of people come into faith in Jesus Christ. And I know that sounds crazy, I, I see hundreds and hundreds of marriages being restored and healed, especially now in a time when there's really an attack on the family, attack on marriage. And I'm not talking about political, I'm just saying a spiritual attack on the family, a spiritual attack on marriages. But I believe that God wants to restore and heal marriages. And that's our preferable future. That's the direction, that's the tomorrow for our lives but it requires us first and foremost to consecrate ourselves, right? <clears throat> so are you ready to get your feet wet? And let me be practical a little bit about what, what it means to consecrate yourself. Number one, it means being honest about your faith or where you are in your faith, right? I think sometimes it's easy, especially if you've been in Christianity for a while, to kind of speak, talk a good game, sound, sound faithful, sound, sound righteous, you know, like I go to church, I put on the faith, the faith mask and my religious mask, and I just kind of do the thing, you know, and everybody thinks, oh, he's great. Sometimes we just have to come to terms with the fact that I'm not great. I'm lacking in faith. I, in fact, I have unbelief in my life. I love the answer in Mark chapter 9. There's a, a man who want, is asking Jesus to heal his son, and, and, and Jesus asks him a question, hey, do you believe that I can <laughs> And here's the response that this man, because the father instantly cried out, verse 24 of Mark 9, I do believe, but I love this honest part, but help me overcome my unbelief. I, I do believe, yes, yes, I know that you, I've seen you do amazing things, but I'm still struggling right now. Will you help me overcome my unbelief? And sometimes that's exactly where we need to come. Lord, I want to trust you, but I'm struggling right now. Will you help me? In my, be honest about your faith. The second thing is we need to engage and start talking about our faith. Like, what is God speaking to you? Too often, God is giving you dreams. He's, he's giving you insight. He's, he's, he's telling you, giving you direction. But we're, we're a little bit scared about that. We don't want to talk about it, so we keep it to ourselves, say nothing. But it's important for us to start talking. Hey, I had this dream. I had this vision. God is speaking to me about doing this next thing. And it might sound crazy, but start talking about it. It's amazing what happens when you start talking about things that God has given you, dreams that God has given you. It starts, it's like fuel for your faith, right? And lastly, we need to act. We need to take, we, we, we need to take a risk. I want to talk a little bit more about that next week, about risking and, and the whole idea of risk. But God may be challenging you right now to step out in obedience, to take a risk. 
It might be as simple as just start tithing if you haven't been. Join a life group. I know you might be terrified. You're like, I don't know if I want to really sit around in a circle with a bunch of other people and tell my story. Ah. Um, but maybe that's what God's telling you to do. So take a risk. Or it might be even more than that. It might be telling you to step out and do something big. Start taking risk. More than 100 years ago, there was this British revivalist that um, was speaking in a service, and he, he put out this holy dare. And this is what he said. He said, the world has yet to see what God will do with and for and through and in and by the man, and I added, a wom- or woman, <laughs> who is fully and wholly consecrated to him. We don't really know the name of the guy that, that um, actually was preaching. This is taken out of D.L. Moody's uh, biography. But D.L. Moody was a young man sitting in that service when he heard this. And at that moment, he said, Lord, I consecrate myself to you. I'll do whatever you ask me to do. And if you follow the story of D.L. Moody, you'll see that God used him in powerful ways. In fact, revival broke out in America as a result of D.L. Moody. And now there's Moody Press, and there's a Moody Bible College, and there's all that kind of stuff there. But here's the thing. It started with a person who said, Lord, I consecrate myself to you. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand. And... Uh, I guess a challenge I want to place before you in Cedar Rapids, if you're watching, the challenge I want to place before you as well. Um, I believe that God wants to do amazing things. So the first step I'm asking you to think about is don't limit God by the things that you're afraid of. Don't use language like, I don't think God can do this. I don't think God wants to do this. It's limiting God. Like get a vision for what God wants to do in your life. It might be as simple as, it might be as simple as, you know what, my marriage. <laughs> I feel like we're just two different people passing each other and we don't really even, it's not, there's not a relationship there. We're just this. And so I'll speak to you men. Men, get a vision for your marriage. Get a vision where you say, God, I want to be in intimacy and I want to be connected to my wife. That's the vision. And there's a lot of things that you have to do to get there. There's a lot of challenges that you're going to overcome to get there because it might mean that you have to confess a few things. It might mean you have to change a few things. But that's the whole consecrate part. As you consecrate yourself, there's amazing things on the other side of that. And that's just one example. I could just go on and on about different Examples of things that God's given you a vision for. Don't limit God on it. And then once you know what it is, once you know that that's the promise on the other side, just say, God, here I am. I'm just going to lay myself. It's not about me. It's about you. Whatever you want for my life, I lay myself down. For some of you in this room, that means for the very first time, you're going to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you attend church, but you've never really said, Jesus, you are my Lord and my Savior, and I'm just going to give my life over to you. For others of you, you've kind of just, you're you're living the American dream. It's great. (laughs) But you're not really following him. And Jesus might be calling, calling you out to consecrate yourself and start following him. Amen? 
Amen. I want to pray for us. We have prayer teams here in the left and right. We're going to end with a song of worship. But our prayer teams are here. If you're here this morning and you need prayer, if you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, we would love to walk with you in that journey. In Cedar Rapids, if you've never given your life to Christ, we'd love to walk with you in that journey. We're asking you to just step out, whether you can step out in one of the prayer teams or maybe you can write and let us know that today you're giving your life to Jesus Christ for the very first time. We'd love to walk that journey with you. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we just want to thank you, God, for your goodness, your grace, your loving kindness. We thank you, Father, that you are in this place and that right now you're stirring us, you're calling us out. Father, I realize that maybe my thoughts have been scattered and I've been all over the place, but Lord, I'm asking, Holy Spirit, that you will hone in on, the, on each individual in this room and that, God, you would speak to them uniquely and individually about what you're calling them into. What's their next step? Where do they have to go? What, what fear do they need to release? And what, what way do they need to embrace you in faith? I'm asking you to do that, Father, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.